from the twisted realm of science and the darkest pits of reason comes chilling tales of godlessness. Bear witness to the unfathomable terror that is The Good Atheist. Welcome to the GoodAtheist.net bonus podcast. My name is Jacob Fortan. And I'm Ryan Harkness. Welcome to episode 73, uh, probably the last bonus show to go up before the holidays. I'm not sure if we're going to have one next week. I guess it really depends on our schedule. It gets close next week to like just Christmas time. Yeah, I, I think this is pretty much it for bonus shows. Yeah, bonus shows like uh, up until after the New Year's. So we're going to try to give you an extra good show uh, just so that you have something to go on for until the t- until 2011. And uh, if you guys are feeling itchy now, have I recommended episodes 1 through 75? <laughs> I'm sure you haven't listened to them all, have you? They are available. And you know what? Worst case scenario, you can just uh, go and really dig deep. Those old shows. Sure, they're embarrassing for us, but you'll probably be desperate by then. And, uh, I mean... What can you do? What can you do? But, uh, yeah, there's no way we're working on the holiest of holies. Jesus was born soon, yes, so Jesus uh, we're going to take off a large amount of time to celebrate his birth. <laughs> I'm going to be doing work in the background anyways, because I, I have to upload the, uh, all the older bonus shows that I have in, with the new system, you know, so that people can access up until bonus show one. So th- that, that, that's kind of like the background... Routine, born-ass work I gotta do. Hmm. But it's all good. It'll be a nice little break. I think we're gonna come back refreshed. Every time we've ever had, like, a break, the shows after, like, a good ten shows in, it's just like, bam, fresh shit. So, have that to look forward to. I'm sure 2011 is gonna be a really great year for us. We're moving forward. And like I said before, it got some response from people when I said that I was gonna be on the road. People excited to me coming out. Uh, already a couple of groups were, were saying, hey, do you wanna come to our, uh, our university and talk? To which I reply, um, as soon as I have my plan figured out, like I'm giving myself the first few months of, you know, between January to May, or I'm sorry, to March, to really kind of figure out what the plan and the schedule is, and I'm just going to make it happen, and it's going to be cool. I'm going to get to hopefully meet many of you that listen. Yeah, it is kind of relegated to America. Sorry, everyone around the world, you're far away. Well, you know, people in Canada will get me, I guess. It's true. Well, tell tell everybody what you're doing tomorrow uh, that I'm I I can't actually participate in. Yeah, Saturday, December 18th, I am hosting uh, a Center for Inquiry atheist stand-up comedy slash debaptism slash live jazz session. So you know, it's going to be a little bit of beats, a little bit of comedy, a little bit of uh, hair drawing, the baptism, and water a lot of bit of you, and a lot of little bit of me, a lot of little bit of me. And uh, to any of our, we've got a few bonus members that are actually in Montreal, so hopefully you guys can come too. Uh, pretty sure that it, even if you're not a CFI member, you'll be able to get in free uh, if you're a good atheist member. No, it's uh, student $7, general $10. No, that was the agreement we had with them. With what? Oh, with, about with good atheist members yeah, getting yeah. free? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, That's I right. guess mention the good atheist, and uh, the CFI guys will be, will be very angry at the end when they're broke. <laughs> <laughs> They they shouldn't be angry if we if we bring in peeps. But uh, if you're not in Montreal, unfortunately, uh, I guess it's uh, it's too late. But 
There'll probably be more, depending on how... You, can, you don't have to offer goes. something for everybody. Just relax. Jesus. I'd like to offer some things for it's everybody. Like, sorry for people living in Turkey and uh, in Africa. I feel sorry for people living in Turkey in general. Yeah. I, I feel worse for the people in Africa, personally. Yeah, we'll get to that, actually. Uh, today on the show, we're going to be talking mostly about the Pope. And uh, there's two reasons for that. Number one is I was reading a book called The Case for the Pope. Uh, which essentially is the legal document, or, or the book on all the, the the legal responsibilities, all the all the ways that you could potentially prosecute the Pope. Like just trying to uncover what is what is the fucking deal, right? Because it's still a big mystery to everybody. Yeah, this was written by some some big uh, international UN bigwig type person who's done stuff on like. Uh, Child soldiers in a Darfur and stuff like that. Yeah, he's a serious motherfucker. Uh, so this is this is not just some lawyer who writes this. This is a guy who's used to, uh, you know, sticky tr- situations, sticky situations, <laughs> and trying international criminals, or at least trying to. So he wrote a book, and we're going to be talking about it. But the reason why we're talking about it, which is the first thing, which is a statement that the Pope made recently, uh, you can probably guess I'm very peeved at it. The reason why I kind of listen to the Pope every once in a while is, you know, I'm always curious to know, hey, what is the Pope trying to do to cool the jets of all the allegations that just keep on piling up and mounting and just, it's not, it's not stopping anytime soon. It almost feels like a tsunami, you know. Uh, it started out in Boston and, and, and in New York and then moved over to uh, Ireland, Germany, England, you know, Austria, Australia, Canada. Uh, the amount of countries that just started coming forward is just incredible. The information that's sort of like been coming in isn't done gathering, but in the interim of that, you were just wondering, well, what's the, what's the church going to do? Like, what's the best strategy when you got, you know, all the cannons are firing and you're fucking under siege? One would hope that the best strategy would be to turn out all pedophiles and uh, set up some kind of way that it can't happen anymore. Right. Well, I guess that's uh, that would be a start. (laughs) But no, instead, what they've done is uh, they, they do what the church has always been good at, which is find some new scapegoats and go on the attack. And the latest people under the attack, guess what? It's us where the Pope said in a statement that secularism was as bad as religious fundamentalism. I'll read you the one quote, too. The Pope put that the Vatican has termed aggressive secularism, I guess that's us, such as gay marriage and restrictions on religious symbols such as crucifixes, nativity scenes, and other traditions on the same level as religious fanaticism. So, congratulations, everybody. I'd like for you to know that officially you have been accused uh, being just as bad as terrorists who sh- put C4 and shrapnel to their bodies and then blow themselves up in front of school kids. You're of the same caliber now because you said no to the nativity scene. But think about it like this. A fanatic is just a fan, so you're just a fan. <laughs> <laughs> you're a super fan. Uh, you know, there was a couple things that I thought to myself. You know, it, it seems ironic that the church comes out and says something like that where they're like, oh, well, um, secularism is against plurality. This is an interesting other thing of of being accused of, that secularism leads to monotheism? Like, I don't quite understand here. Here's here's an organization that has a long history of conflict with even internal dogmas, never mind minorities, uh, religious minorities, saying that 
we're the bad guys. We're secularism the, is divisive. Yeah, secularism, the idea that there should be no official religion to a state, is divisive. Yeah, that's a good accusation. What, what bugs me the most about it is it's like they're not paying attention to the last, I don't know, 200 years where finally we have shucked off the yoke of, of religious uh, involvement in government and things started really going well. Really well. Yeah, really, really well. You know, I, and uh, just as a just as a say an example, when you look at uh, the, the the Catholic Church in the 1920s, when it was uh, basically courting Mussolini, and the reason why it liked Mussolini, who was an, an atheist, like there's no reason to like him uh, if you're a Catholic, but the reason they liked him was because uh, it, it was a very patriarchal uh, ideology. It it didn't want women to be able to vote. And the Catholic Church was, yes, that seems right to me. We will support you. The Vatican does this in the 1930s, or, I mean, 1920s. It doesn't want you to remember how recently it was fighting against the rights of people. Well, how many, and plus, how many shitty bedfellows do they end up with every time they support these ridiculous uh, bigotries? Oh, my goodness. I, I, who knows? I mean, it's just... The scandal worthiness of their uh, affiliations with terrible dictators that support their own uh, restrictive policies is frightening. You know, it's just it's absolutely disgusting. There's no morality here for them. It's just there's a there's an agenda that's set, and as far as they're concerned, everything justifies that. I mean, when they when they say that trying to fight for gay marriage is the moral equivalent of splashing acid in the faces of young women now, to trying to learn in Afghanistan is, is, is fucking ridiculous. To be fair, they don't say that. That's what you say. I'm equating <laughs> the same thing. It's like if it's on the same level as religious fanaticism, then the displays of religious fanaticism are what you're up against. It's not just saying, oh, that there are people saying some hateful things. Religious fanatics don't say things alone. They do shit, you know? And and when when they talk about like again gay marriage because the, the Catholic Church considers homosexuality to be evil, as far as they're concerned, this is a great evil. It'll send you to hell. It'll send you to hell. This is morally really equivalent to them in tr as 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 murder is as as despicable as murder. This is something that oh my goodness we're the world is trying to change and trying to make this acceptable when we view it as a real evil. And let me ask you this. How many organizations in, in the world are really allowed to hold that kind of view and not be held accountable to say outright that homosexuality is evil? Uh, there's not a lot. You'd find that if most organizations took that, they would be uh, lambasted and gone. There's but, some governments in Africa, the Middle East... Yeah, in the Wild West. <laughs> Iran would hate them if there were any in Iran. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are none. Of course there are none. What are you talking about? They're, they're, they're a very moral and just society. They don't have homosexuality. So, yeah, I thought, uh, I thought that was also kind of ironic. Coming to this, our second point, which is really, the, the, again, the book, the case uh, for the Pope, and talking about, all right, what are the what ways can we take legal action against the systematic cover-up and uh, protection of child rapists? Like, what what can we do? So the book itself sets out to explain a few things. Number one, you have to understand what is the Holy See, what is its legal status. You know, that's the first thing that I was really trying to understand. Like, what the fuck is this place? Um, it's really it's it's unusual because they are they're not a state. But they are recognized as 
a partial one by the UN. They even get to participate on stuff. Which is weird because my understanding is there's no citizens in the Vatican. It's there really just, are not. It's no. just uh, it's just the bureaucracy that exists itself. It's essentially the you know uh, a, a tiny the, the 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 acreage of a golf course that has statehood. The reason it has statehood actually is because in 1929 it signed a treaty uh, with Mussolini. They called it a treaty, but it really should have been called a concordat. That is, a concordat is when you have an agreement between a state and a non-state entity. But it was still called a treaty. And uh, in this treaty, the Lateran Treaty, the, the, they were allowed to have sovereignty from uh, you know, uh, Italian uh, law and their own, uh, you know, like they owned the land. But there was also, because it was a more of a concordat, it was also um, part of the agreement was that Catholicism was going to be the official religion of the state. So it's kind of like a, it also had rules where every single government building had to have a cross. Um, so, it, you know, this is an agreement that it formed with the, with, the, with the Catholic Church. Because until 1870, the Catholic Church did have land. It did have soldiers. You know, it was kind of a state. Uh, the, the remnants of like the, the Roman Empire, if you want. But in, in 1870, after the Reformation the, of, of Italy, after its unification, essentially they lost everything. And uh, it, even at the time, post Pope Pius, I think the ninth, um, he was trying to tell Catholics, "Oh, you cannot recognize this government." Uh, they wanted to have their armies and their land back, uh, and uh, it was it was only later on, when you know, at the beginning of the World War One, did they actually start siding with any government. But until then, they were like, "No Catholic can recognize the government of Italy," so they were always very hostile towards the idea of no longer having their own land. So they get they get it, essentially. In a treaty with a fascist dictator, 1929. So this is this is literally the treaty that is used as justification for its statehood, though it is not a state. Like that's the crazy thing about it. I mean, and nobody's just bothered to challenge it afterwards. Well, they were Wait, they is, were they were challenged when they had started to oppose in the 1990s a lot of legislation for women's rights and 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 and. Uh, uh, you know, birth control. They tried to stop some uh, in, some initiatives in the UN. Tried to vote against it. And once they started doing that, um, it, it started creating more definitions, and and it gained it it lost some of its powers by trying to outreach itself. So it really is possible that at any moment, really, it could stop being recognized as a sovereign uh, state because it would be very easy to do so legally. It doesn't fall under that. Classification. It was only decided, by the way, by uh, I'm I'm trying to remember. It was some secretary of the UN that did it just on his own volition that had declared it a a non-state state. I love that. And it kind wasn't of voted stuff. on any. Yeah, you love when that happens. Right? <laughs> when when singular people uh, do things that that basically send gigantic ripples through history, it always amazes me, especially when they go off the cuff and just kind of just kind of step out and do something on their own and nobody does anything about it because hey guess what power is this weird malleable shadowy thing and if you have some you can usually use it to do all sorts of stuff you don't actually have the power to do but you could do it anyways because that's power did you ever imagine what it is like to live one day as the pope you know what is what is really that like? Okay, I figure it starts out like this: you wake up in the most comfortable bed in the fucking world. Yeah. Uh, breakfast is there. Your uh, news de la monde or whatever the hell he re reads. Or I, I, I guess, don't even know if he reads. It would be like Das newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
News News Glockenstein. News Glockenstein. <laughs> All right. Yes. And uh, and past that point, you know, uh, hang around, watch some Judge Judy and some of the other stuff that's on television between ten and noon. Surf the web a little bit. Well, no, yeah, no, no, no surfing the net. And then after that, you get uh, you 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 go down to like the main audience hall, and you have some uh, really muscular looking acrobats put on a really uh, homoerotic show for you. Did you see that video? <laughs> I saw some images of it, but I didn't see the video. Yeah, that was the Pope's Day. Like I think it was last week. They got the these crazy uh, contortionist slash acrobat guys, like some serious. Like it it was. Your stereotypical gay calendar with 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 those kinds of guys doing doing all sorts of amazing tricks for the Pope, and he loved it. Amazing and sexy tricks <laughs> in uh, skin tight, sure. skin tight leotards. Ladies, look it up. It's awesome. I, this one's for you, ladies. I'll put a link in the notes and uh, yeah, it should be up. It, it, it should be up on the site. Just throw it right up because it is worth watching. It'll blow your mind. <laughs> <laughs> all right, here's here's. I want to cover what the. Um, the legal options are as they stand, like the best legal options that people have. Okay, the, the first one that you can, the first thing that you can argue is uh, that the rape and molestation of children committed on the widespread and systematic scale could amount to a crime against humanity. So, so it's, it could be it could be a uh, a UN. What is that's not a war crime though. What, what this would be like, it would be crime you, against humanity. What are those? Just well, crimes it, it's against just, humanity. It's a crime against humanity. Oh. It gets tried in, the, in an international criminal court, and uh, this is where you can get heads of state to answer. Because the whole thing is, when you're a head of state, um, like the Pope, who is a king, he he will never be he will never prosecute himself. He is above the law because he is the king, right? So, in if he really is the king, which is what they basically describe it as, as a monarchy, then um, he could be tried. As uh, uh, you know, uh, under an international criminal court, the problem with that that is is that the the treaty, the ICC treaty, really didn't come into existence until much later, until 2002. And a significant portion of the evidence that we have against Ratzinger is from the 1980s and the 1990s. That's the re that's the problem. So if that one, this this also has to take into account that he is recognized as a head of state. So you would essentially be giving them recognition as a head of state if you did that. It's almost like precedence, right? Yeah. So you want to be careful whether or not you should actually give him recognized head of state status. As it stands, he seems to have that de facto, so it might still just be necessary yeah, to try to go let's, that way. Let's face it. He's got it unless someone tries. Someone goes ahead and takes it away from him, and uh, so I, I'd, I'd say it's a perfectly legit way of going about things. You were saying, you were saying that there's a problem because everything happened in the 80s. Statute of limitations is up or something? No, it's not that it's statutes of uh, limitations are up. Is it? It the evidence can only be presented from the time that the international criminal court is recognized. I don't know why. Uh, that just seems to be the rule. It's almost like people are protecting their asses. Yeah, you know? that's, that's usually how it works that's in these. Usually, uh, yeah, exactly. With with the UN now, know. because the Pope is a German citizen and Germany signed the, the the treaty, it is possible to try him as a German citizen under this international criminal court. So that's the first one. That's really trying to put this guy behind bars. Uh, the section second one is more of a civil for civil lawsuits. Okay, because. Sexually abusing a kid is not just a crime, it's also considered a tort, and that means that 
it's a it's a wrong. You were wrong some way. You know, whenever you hear about like, oh, we need tort reform and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and yeah. It's because tort is when you sue people for for wronging you for wronging you for because it's a it's a horrible thing and you need money. Mm-hmm. And that's why everybody always freaks out because <laughs> you and I know that sometimes those numbers can go crazy out of control. Yeah. So basically, they're like, all right, well, what you can say is that even though the Vatican, if because the Vatican says that it is not a it's not like a corporation. It doesn't have direct control over its, over the bishops and 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 archdiocese because they're their own, they're their own little institutions. Even in the states, they're their own charters, um, legally recognized charters. So they're not actually officially tied to the church. But you could say that the Vatican is 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 liable as a joint tortfeasor. Uh, and that means that they essentially contributed to the civil wrong through their actions. It's basically and because negatives. tort is so general that right. you can really say whatever you want, and it'll it'll at least fly to the point where they say no, it doesn't fly. Well, okay, this is the problem here that now because the argument basically relies on the fact that canon law, which was I think enacted in something like the 1920s or 1917 or something like that, which is the official law that the Vatican sort of created for itself. It's like an amalgam of, 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 of civil law and of their own class, classical, blah, I can't even pronounce it, law. They're, they're, their own religious laws, and, uh, which, they, which they refer to as canon law. So there, there are canon laws that make um, provisions against the kinds of uh, crimes that pedophiles commit. In fact, many of those laws uh, date back to the first century A.D. where they already knew that it was a huge problem within their own clergy. <laughs> enough of a problem to bring up and specifically say, this is, you know, we got to do something about it. Right. Funny enough, uh, I, I remember when... When I was first researching into this horrible, horrible topic, uh, <laughs> so horrible ba- back when everything was really breaking, I remember uh, some of some of the laws that they set up were, you know, a lot stricter way back way back in the Middle Ages and before than they are now. The well, ironies, yeah. The, the the laws have been reformed. In fact, uh, Radzinger himself, Benedict, psst, please, um, sent out a memo because he was he was ahead of the. Um, Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, formerly the Inquisition, that looks into uh, you know serious offenses, which pedophilia uh, luckily uh, qualifies, but you know it doesn't mean nothing to them because essentially, um, l- let me give you a few stats to kind of to, to put things in perspective. The very office that was responsible for investigating claims of of pedophilia had a couple had a couple uh, strict rules. The first one was that. You were not supposed to talk to the police first. You had to deal. You had to talk to your bishop, who would then deal with uh, the you know congregation of the doctrine of faith. Well, I'll just call it the Inquisition. It's easier. Deal with the Inquisition. <laughs> and the other rule the was inqu- that how about the Inquisitors? Because the, the Inquisitors. Okay, there fine. you go. With the Inquisitors, and the rule was that you wouldn't be able to talk about it until about ten years after the 18th birthday of the person involved. Conveniently enough, the same amount of time that it takes for the statute of limitations to expire on child rape. I don't know why it's only 10 years, but whatever. Uh, as a, On July 10th of this year, by the way, the Pope, who agreed that there was a serious problem with that number, 10 years, no, that can't be, extended it to 20 years. So that's the correction they made. The correction is now even more on the side of safety. 
They're like, well, we don't want it to be 10 years because they may raise the statutes of limitation. So let's be preemptive about this. Let's make it 20 years. Um, another thing, too, is that the, the, this is the estimate, according to the book, uh, 76% of all the abuses that went on were never reported to police. And only 6% of those accused were ever convicted. Also, of those, less than 1% were ever excommunicated. You can remember that excommunicating, uh, excommunication gets used as a regular form of punishment for people who vote against uh, or vote for le uh, legislation that allows for abortion. So they will excommunicate someone who helps um, women uh, control their own fucking bodies, but if you sexually rape a kid, you are still not excommunicated. Only a small, small minority of a minority ever get excommunicated, which is the craziest thing. I mean, they've never even excommunicated Hitler, for fuck's sakes. They're not very good with that. <laughs> they've got some weird uh, priorities when it comes to that. You know, you know I, I, with with that Hitler thing, they could just look good if they just did that. I know, they've got the ultimate ban hammer, and they don't even use it properly. I think because it, then it would open up the question, the fact that why did it take so long, you know? That's, I don't know. That's the conversation you don't want to have. Usually, usually people are pretty okay with it. You know, when Japan, you know, admits stuff they did to the Chinese 50 years ago, people usually don't uh, say, why did it take so long? Because they understand why. <laughs> it's just uh, inherently understood. You know, the other thing that was inherently, the, the, the one thing that was inherently understood, I think, from all the priests that were themselves pedophiles, and this is, this is probably the biggest problem with the entire way that everything with, was handled within the church, is that how are you supposed to deal with a very serious crime when, it, number one, it's not considered a crime by your organization, but rather a sin? A sin which, by the way, you can get absolution for because the church itself is what hands out dispensations of forgiveness. They have taken upon themselves the power that Jesus has to forgive sin. So if something is considered a sin, the very institution that you work for has the power to absolve you. What, what, can you imagine? This, how is this supposed to be a deterrent towards even the pedophiles that they would try to sanction? I mean, you know what sanctioning is basically with these guys? The worst case scenario is excommunication. Below that is just uh, essentially just being defrocked. And below that is for you to have to do community service. And below that is just some fucking Hail Marys and a retreat in New Mexico. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that's always bugged me about this is the number of guys who get moved around. Uh, the guy from Boston who was taken out from under the police and the, uh, and the lawyers' noses and hid in the Vatican. That kind of stuff. And allowed to die with dignity. That was important. Father Murphy, I believe his name was. 60% of all in the U.S., 60% of all the priests that had reports of uh, sexual abuse were transferred around. 60%. Over half of all the fucking molesto priests were moved around knowingly by uh, by their diocese. And then people wonder, like, oh, uh, <laughs> how could the how could the abuse have been so bad? Well, the answer is that they kept moving them to greener pastures. Filled with, like, here's another thing that they did, all right, to, to offending priests. If they didn't move them around, they would send them, they would enroll them in universities, okay, to study canon law, and then they were given the responsibilities of investigating abuses by other priests. This was some of their duties. I think I want to puke. <laughs> You're asking a child molester 
to go around investigating other child molesters. So all this is in the case on the Pope, that book. Yes. This is all in the same book. Yeah. I feel like, uh, you know, every good atheist should probably read it. I was checking it out on Amazon.com. It's just, just as far as the name goes, it's the case on the Pope. It's not the case against or the case of the case on. It was, I'm going to put a link it, also. It, it tries side. to keep it very ambiguous yeah, because it. it doesn't want to, you know, uh, paint uh, a certain uh, portrait before it even gets started. But uh, it, it obviously seems to have some pretty hardcore information that most people probably don't know. Yeah, the information itself. I mean, one of the biggest things when they were trying to talk about the percentage of uh, a priest that abuse victims. Now, the Vatican said that it's less than 1%. Uh, that was their estimate. The, the best estimate that we have is about 6 to 9% of the priesthood were involved at least in some way into, you know, in some form of abuse. But that is not taking into account um, Africa, which is basically unreported. Any abuse, and also in Latin America as well, which is very, very underreported. Oh, and God, you know there's shit going down in Latin America. Just from what, what Do you we remember Maciel Maciel? Uh, Maciel Maciel. Maciel Maciel, excuse me. <laughs> the one who had, who had abused, like, how many thousands of kids? Like, something like a thousand? A maybe lot. Maybe more? A lot. Yeah. He was the Pope's personal friend, wasn't he? He was. He was Pope John Paul II's personal friend. And when they when they called him to the Vatican to discipline him, it was just essentially to whisk him away. So that uh, that he could be spared from prosecution and spared from embarrassment. Uh, they do this kind of stuff all the time. The, the agreement is that if you're part of the brotherhood, that's that brotherhood is more important uh, than anything else. You know, the rules that are in place are to protect priests. They're not to protect children. They're not to obey the laws of the lands that they are in. These things are inconsequential. What really amazes me is there must have been a lot of good people uh, with knowledge about the kind of things that were going on, and why did they stay silent? Like, you take a look at the number of priests who were actually offending, and it's already pretty high, but there, uh, you, you have to assume that there were good priests around with knowledge, and uh, they just did nothing. Well, there was a, a big part of... The problem was supposedly also that many priests were just willing to turn a blind eye or accept inexcusable uh, excuses. But but how can... It, it makes me wonder if maybe there's some kind of... You remember about when we were talking about the Milgram experiments where people are pushing the button to electrocute a, uh, a person in the other room up to the point where they would die, and they all do it. Maybe there's some kind of thing going on where you, I don't because science must explain this inexplicable evil. evil? Yeah, no, come on, you try. I think you're trying to read too much into it here. I mean, you're. I, I just try. It's to like the it's like the the blue wall, right? That there are plenty of cops that do bad things, but you don't tell on other cops because you know the consequences of that are terrible. It's the unstated brotherhood. These are the problems with these kinds of groups that they can't police themselves. That's why. Police officers need uh, to have internal, uh, you know, officers that investigate police officers because they're not going to do it themselves. You can't be honest because there, there's more going on than just whatever the crime is. You know, take, take the instance of, a, say, a, a police officer who is obviously crooked, but not in any real meaningful way. At least not he's not breaking any of laws that you consider serious because, again, the Catholic Church does not consider pedophilia to be as serious as abortion or 
condoning um, gay marriage or right, or, exactly. or or uh bringing up women and uh and make turning them into priests that's right. another no, thing no, that's that you'll so get excommunicated pretty much instantly if you uh, if you make a woman a priest yeah. cuz that's if evil let, if you let her talk so those are those are the evils but if if this cop had done something that you didn't necessarily consider to be super evil well let's just say that he took money from uh you know like uh, drug from dealers that he had busted mm-hmm. right he just took some of their money now the problem is he's, he's obviously doing something wrong, but to speak out against it, now you have a problem. Your reputation is going to suffer. You're probably your career is over. Uh, and these are serious concerns to people who have invested everything into this organization. Because if you leave, guess what, pal? You're not employable. You were like a dungeon master. Okay? You're, you're an expert in nonsense. You have no skills. None. Oh, we're talking about priests, not cops. We're talking cops. about priests. No, 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 I'm not talking about cops here. A very so, extensive knowledge of the Monsters Manual and an, yeah, ability, exactly. an ability to calculate taco instantly. Instantly. These are, these are your skills. So unless other people want to fantasize and pay you to do it, uh, you are unfortunately not employable. I think that a huge part of it is that, especially if you are in an organization, you're, you're in, you have somewhat, uh, you know, you have some degree of power. You have uh, the right to, you know, a beautiful home and shit like that for some of these individuals. Why, if they lose that, then what do they have? They, they don't have anything. You know, the assets belong to the church. You work for the church. You get to have some of its assets, but it gets to keep them. That's the reason also, by the way, why they're all celibate. So the church didn't have to divide assets among the, you know, the children of priests. It's like, we want to keep our money, bitches. So the 11th century is like, bam, you can't marry. Celibacy is the rule. They even tried to get rid of it in the 16th century, but that didn't work. So they've been trying to get rid of it. They just can't, they just can't seem to do it. And they always have ultra-conservatives that are uh, the Pope. So they, their, their stance is to be like, we need to go back to fundamentals. You really don't. You really don't. Let's, oh, here's, here's another thing that I found very interesting in the book was that abuse victims of priests take actually more time to recoup than any other uh, sexually uh, uh, assaulted group. That includes people that have been assaulted by family members. Uh, And if you're wondering why is that, why would it produce more psychological damage, I think it has a lot to do with the, the relationship that most people have with their priests, where even though your parents have a great deal of power, you don't consider them gods or a god's avatar. Like the ability for a priest to go over to absolute, to absolve sin, first of all, to be able to say, oh, I forgive you. Or you are forgiven. You are forgiven. Um, that, among a host of other supposed powers they have, must it has such a huge degree of control, extraordinary control over the minds of young people, that they often feel obliged to comply with the abuse. And that probably is the thing that fucks them up the most. Because wherever, you know, in these other situations, they were probably fighting against it. In this one, they have to be complacent and participatory in, in, in the abuse. That's what's really fucked up about it. So there's, there's, lots, of, there's, there's lots of cases where, um, you know, people are still not over this. This is also why it takes so long for this kind of thing to come out. Because it's, it's worse than all the other abuses that you could possibly imagine. And it's more endemic. And the problem is a lot of these pedophile priests, what they do is they groom their victims first, right? They have access to these people on a constant basis. Trusted access that you wouldn't even give like anybody other than a parent. And even then, more access. (laughs) 
because they have access to their soul. So, yeah, they should be held even more accountable. That's the crazy thing about this whole abuse scandal is that the Vatican's like, oh, well, we didn't, uh, we didn't know or if we knew it wasn't our purview or we did release it or we don't know what the fuck you're talking about which will always be the range of whatever they explain uh, it should have been you are more responsible than any other group you you should be held more accountable not less accountable you know because of the kind of powers and virtues you give yourself because let's face it what is the vatican other than just an organization that exists from the whim of everyone else they're just a group who the fuck cares they could be just as meaningless as the shriners you know what I mean? Like, who cares? Poof, you're gone. You're just an entity that exists in people's minds, but nothing more real than that. They have a responsibility, and they have not complied with that responsibility. I really hope that this book gets read. I think it came out fairly recently. I well, hope you, that you, you guys read it and, and really start asking like more questions. First of all, the legitimacy of, of the Vatican as a state. This is a fucking major one. Why are they why are they recognized by the UN? No other religious institution has this privilege or should have this privilege. Even Catholics themselves uh, should fucking speak out against it because you know that you shouldn't participate in politics. It's clear. You are not Catholicism is not supposed to be political. That's the fucking rule. So why does it get to fucking be engaged in the political process on uh, on the level of the UN? What? It's ridiculous. Okay, you know what? I think we're going to wrap up the show. Um, hopefully everybody liked that. Uh, we'll, we'll probably be providing... I mean, I'm not done reading the book, so there are probably going to be a, a couple other sh you know, good shows worth of stuff. And, and, and you know more information is going to come out. I really want to petition people to pay attention, to throw the spotlight on Latin America and uh, Africa, because we're not done uncovering all the sex scandal. A lot of the fucking priests that we're offending, that's where they went. Okay, That's where they are now. You think it's done? It's not over. It's uh, it's only just begun, baby. It's only just begun. Well, you know, it's done in the news cycle. It was a big deal for a week, and then I don't know, something else happened. The world happened. It's hard to it's hard for us to care about. Maybe maybe oh yeah, ten thousand no. distractions. Remember things. what happened? Michael Jackson died. <laughs> That's what happened. Oh man, it was like a collective amnesia after Michael Jackson. <laughs> what happened before? I don't know. The King of Pop is dead. Ugh. Humanity. And you, the irony. Uh, you make me sad. You make me sad. <laughs> well, we'll keep it alive, and we'll keep it there for all our bonus members who continue to support us. But not through Christmas, money. when Jesus' power is too strong for us to broadcast. Honestly, his, his fucking holy rays prevent all broadcasts from coming through. So, on, the, on, those, on that ghastly day, <laughs> we cannot broadcast, and we must remain silent. Okay, thanks again for all the members who were uh, contributing members. And uh, I guess since it's the bonus show, a special happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, or whatever other celebrations that people around you are forcing down your throats. <laughs> Hopefully it won't be too bad, and maybe like uh, some people out there actually enjoy the holidays. Yeah, just think about all that delicious turkey yeah, with gravy. The family, hopefully some good presents. I hope hope you guys are going to get some good presents and uh, and treat yourselves to uh, to some fun because winter is long and for the majority of us horrible horrible and cold all right with that my name is jacob forte and i'm ryan harkness have a good atheist day everybody